Welcome to Supply Chain Radio. This is Greg Kiefer at the Gartner Supply Chain Executive Conference 2017. We're on the show floor, and I'm here with Guy Cortain. Guy, welcome to the show. Great. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's been a good day here. It has been. It's been, per usual in Arizona, over 100 degrees already. But you know what? We're inside. It's air-conditioned. We can't complain. That's right. You're wearing a tie, which is a little bit disturbing. I am wearing a tie. And unfortunately, since I have a face for radio, no one can see it. Yes, yes. But you know, I also want to point out that Guy has the coolest socks. They're like levels of an ocean with little fish on them. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe go to our Twitter feed and you'll see the picture that's of us That's right. That's right. There is a photo that you will see. So go to Twitter and you will see us. So... I guess, starting out, wow, I mean, a lot of people here. I think I heard 1,900 people. Yeah, it seems about right. I mean, I think these events, and you've been going to these for many years, too, and, you know, it seems like it grows every year, and it's a testament, obviously, to Gartner and and their client base. But, yeah, it's definitely well-attended. A lot of people here, a lot of great conversations being had in the hallways, and uh, a lot of great sessions, and, you know, looking forward to uh, another day and a half of this stuff. Yeah, my feet are throbbing from all the walking, but... Well, stop wearing your high heels. Yeah, I know. I can't help it. You know, these darn shoes. Always looking for the big theme. You know, Gartner seems to come up with something every year. And I think one of the things that stood out to me this morning in the opening keynote was this whole notion of virtual ecosystems is what they're coining it. I liken that to networks, which Mm -hmm. is something we like to talk about on this show all the time. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When they talked about the ecosystem, the same chord struck to me, which was what really is an ecosystem? And when you really sort of decouple what that is, is you're absolutely right. It's a network, right? What is an ecosystem? It's multiple disparate parts coming together to create a system, and a system as a network. And a network is a supply chain, or a supply chain is a network. So I thought that was very, I don't want to say encouraging, maybe it's the wrong term, but it was very enlightening to hear that talk coming from main stage, both from the Gardner keynotes, and then, you know, in a way later on from General Vincent Bowles, who had a great, great presentation. And I think what it speaks to us and a lot of the topics that we've talked about in the past on, on supply chain radio and in, in other forums is, you know, this importance of leaning on a greater structure than your own business or your own supply chain. And what that is, is whether you call an ecosystem or a network or a network of networks, however you want to phrase it, it really is sort of a aggregation, a coming together of multiple companies, systems, supply chains to basically push into one direction. So uh, very encouraging from that standpoint. Yeah. What I thought was interesting too is they, you know, it's just smart devices, right? I mean, I think someone used an example of a smart toothbrush. Yes. (laughs) Which which, goes beyond the supply chain now, right into the stuff that we But what was very interesting from that discussion, and it's something that I've talked a lot about in the past around the whole smart, smart home, smart devices. And that example was great. So it was an Oral-B example of a electric toothbrush that would monitor how you were brushing your teeth. It would feed that information potentially back to Oral-B or other suppliers. And almost also added sort of a layer of gamification, right? A term we haven't talked about in years. But when you think about it, this connectivity all of a sudden allows the consumer to have a sense of gamification as to, well, how am I brushing my teeth? Am I doing a good job? Did I do a better job than yesterday, right? And we as consumers are always striving maybe to do a little bit better, right? To get a sticker or to get an extra point or do something. So A, that's where it helps potentially drive behavior, right? So it allows or it encourages us to do better job brushing our teeth, having better oral hygiene, all those things. But what else they were saying, which I think was fascinating, is think about the ramifications that it has for the supply chain that supports the CPGs for toothbrushes, right? Toothbrushes, toothpaste, things like that. All of a sudden now, not only do I get usage data, but I also in a way can potentially incentivize you as a consumer to purchase my product, to get my product. Say, you know, one of the examples they gave about this is, hey, if we learned that Greg has been brushing his teeth really well for the past month, we're going to send you a 
a free strawberry raspberry flavored toothpaste because that's what you like, right? So all of a sudden now I'm rewarding you. And as a CPG, I'm building a relationship with you through that sort of gamification, that information, that connected device world. And to your point, absolutely. It's another data point in the network, in the ecosystem. And what does that mean for our supply chains moving forward? Right. Well, you know, and as a father of some kids that struggles to get them to brush the teeth, I think you just answered a problem for parents of America. Right. <laughs> right. I'm sure someone else has thought of that, but that's like, oh, gamification of brushing teeth. I can think of a lot of things to gamify now that I think about it. Yeah. And it's one of those things. I think it's once you start getting the data, once you have the network that can leverage it, what else can you do with it? Right. Now, I know you've talked to a number of the analysts today yep. and got some feedback from them in terms of what they're seeing. I mean, you want to just touch on a few big things that you Yeah, heard? you know, it's always interesting to just, you know, sit down and chew the fat with some of these analysts and, and just hear what they have to say from an off-the-cuff perspective. Again, I don't, I don't mean to diminish it by saying nothing new, but it was a lot of reinforcing messages, which I think is very encouraging. You know, one of the first ones is something that I know we talk about on a regular basis here at Supply Chain Radio is really around the whole notion of the consumer and the drive or the consumer's influence in and on supply chains and retailers and CPG and manufacturers and a whole host of other industries. And that's constantly being reinforced. The other one which I thought was very interesting times from the analysts is how some, and maybe this is more retail-centric, but how some retailers are still trying to tackle today's problems with yesterday's thinking, right? Tackle today's problems with, well, we're just going to give you a bigger promotion or we're going to you know, stuff the supply chain with more inventory. And the discussion we had was, well, that's interesting. I thought we, we sort of figured out that that wasn't going to work. But obviously some retailers are still going back and trying, or maybe we'll try again to do it. Who's to say it's going to work or not? But again, you know how the Albert Einstein quote goes, right? Insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. But what's interesting from that conversation is that, is that an opportunity for savvier retailers or other companies to say, well, wait a minute, let's think differently. Let's ask different questions of our information. Let's ask different questions of our data. Let's try to figure out what else we can do to change things and to really get ahead of the curve, so to speak. So I think those are some of the big themes, you know, talking to the analysts. The other one, which was, you know, sort of refreshing in a way is the reality is, you know, we talk a lot about digital and digitization and not that that by any means has been diminished, but the reality is still is that we still live in a physical world, we still need to move product from point A to point B. We still need to move raw materials from point A to point B. We still need to get stuff to people, whether it's consumers, businesses, what have you. So this notion of the physical supply chain is still key, right? And the notion of the physical movement of goods remains something that we as supply chain professionals have to deal with and figure out how to constantly solve for. So all the digitization in the world is great. We need to continue working on that. It's not by any means trying to say that's not important. But we have to, to sort of keep remembering that in a day we're still, if we're making product, it's still a physical thing. It's supposed to get somewhere physically. It has to be consumed and things like that. So I think those are some of the big themes. Again, nothing, nothing earth shattering, I think, but a lot of reinforcing stuff that we've seen and others have seen for the past year or so. Yeah. Well, one of the comments I heard this morning during the keynote, which I thought was really interesting, and maybe it's the beginning of the Terminator rise of the machines, right? But all of this innovation, the pace of the innovation, the amount of data that's being generated, it's reached a point that's beyond human comprehension right. or capacity, right? So, you know, you get into things like machine learning and smart devices and, you know, predictive analytics or predictive behavior by devices. You know what I mean? And it's true. I mean, if you think about it, it's just the world is a washing down. Yeah. I mean, we hear that again and again and again. And, you know, you do need smart machines to figure that out. It's not a hiring a bunch of analysts. Anymore. No, and it's, it's one of these, Greg, I think it's, we, we talk about this on a lot of occasions too, like, 
we don't need more information. The information's out there. What we need now is to ask better questions of our information. What we need now is to take uh, some of the activities that that information can let us do and allow the machines to do it. So things that, that are dangerous, things that are repetitive, things that we can't process because there's no way we can take that much data and do something with it. Let's leverage the machines and the technology we have to take advantage of that. But I think what's always sort of missing in that conversation, which, which at times I think is a little bit frustrating, is we talk about these machines and helping the machines helping, the machines doing things. We never talk about the fact that in allowing machines to do so many things, it will free up the human element to do other things. It's not replacing the human per se. It's moving the human's efforts into other areas which are things that humans have to be doing, right? More creative, more cost, you know, things like that. I think that's what always has to happen when we talk about machines taking over more of the stuff is machines are doing more of the stuff, allowing humans to then do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, that's funny. I was at a marketing conference not too long ago. I actually talked about this in a previous episode, and, and one of the big themes that some CMOs were saying was that, you know, because the marketing world's being destroyed by, mach- you know, systems and yep. data, and, and they're having similar struggles. It was a weird comparison to what I do in my day job, which is supply chain. Right. And it was interesting because when the CMOs were asked, what do you worry about? What keeps you up at night? And they said, you know, all of this technology is overwhelming people, and we're lo- people are losing the art of classic marketing, which yeah. is strategy and positioning. Creativity. And creativity. Yeah. And, you know, it's we're hiring a bunch of people that know how to implement software right. and roll out a change management, but have lost the art. And, yeah. I, and maybe there's a lot of similar comparisons to this. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those, and again, this might be overstating this, but you could argue, you look at some of the great creativity that's happened in our world in our lifetimes, right? Henry Ford that comes up with his process of making the car and things like that. And the famous or infamous quote he said, you know, if I ask my customers what they wanted, they want a faster horse. Isn't that what a machine would do? A machine would just, you know, optimize and say, no, what you need is to optimize X, Y, and Z. I look at, you know, Apple being another example. If you ask, if you look at the iPod, not even the iPod, we look at the iPhone, obviously, where did that come from? You know, what data allowed you to say, hey, we should make this piece of plastic with a touchscreen and applications on it? You know, you look at some of these inventions or some of these creativities, the Walkman being one of them, uh, the microwave oven, right, where... Yeah, now we take it as ubiquitous and everybody has them. But if you look at when they were created, what happened a lot of times was these came out of creativity or a vision of someone that the data, I would argue, would not have lent itself to saying, create this, right? When Lee Iacocca came up with the minivan, that was his idea. It wasn't a bunch of machines looking at data being able to say, okay, now we need minivans. Now, some might argue the machines would get to a point where maybe they will be the ones doing that. Maybe, maybe not. I like to believe that at some point... The machines, while they can do this, that human aspect is still irreplaceable, right? That human aspect of being creative, of thinking, of doing certain things. I don't care how much horsepower of data you put behind something and how much horsepower processing, you still get that creativity side, right? There's a reason why, you know, there's one Carl Lagerfeld. There's a reason why these people are around is because there is a create. Now, that's obviously at a very high level, but I think it trickles down through any supply chain, through any organization, that that mentality has to be encouraged and and allowed to come out without just relying upon data or machine learning, things like that. That's a tool. It's a part of it. It is not the end all to be all. It's the art. 
Okay, well, we're out of time. Guy, thanks for joining the show. We'll be back again from the floor here to provide a few more updates. Look forward to it, and uh, hopefully your feet feel better, Greg. And, uh, <laughs> you know, tomorrow and I'll be we can't easier. wait to see what socks you got on your feet tomorrow. Well, that's a secret. You'll have to wait. <laughs> hey, you have a tie on, too. That's kind I do of have strange. a tie on. You know, we'll have to make sure we tweet that picture out, too, so people actually see I have a tie on. It's yes, not just- yes. It's a, little, it's a little disturbing right now. I'm having a hard time processing <laughs> that. All right. This is Greg and Guy on Supply Chain Radio, and we're going to sign off. <laughs>